0: Well, today we have a, um, in this text that we're continuing in, ending uh, kind of chapter two, uh, is this picture of the first activities, the first actions, and kind of the the characteristics of the early church. You know, these 3,000 people were saved, they were born again, given the Holy Spirit, uh, and then they started living as this gospel community, and some of these people were visitors, so not necessarily all 3,000 were, you know, were being described here uh, in this text, but, uh, but a vast majority probably of the folks that were saved that day were from Jerusalem. And so we're getting a picture now of, of, of what now? So, so we've heard this gospel. Uh, we've heard this truth. You, you, you just told us that we killed our Messiah. Uh, we were born again. So, so now what do we do? What, what happens now? And we're going to see then, what now? What do we do now? Now that we know this truth, now that we've given this, this gift of the Holy Spirit, we've seen... The prophet Joel have his, his word uh, confirmed, fulfilled, so, so, so now what do we do? And this is what we're going to be looking at today. And this is the very section uh, of the scripture that I have right here on the front of my podium. This is uh, from a, a page from a 1613 a King James Bible, so it's a third edition, The King James came out in 1611, so this is a third edition, and um, I found it years ago, and um, I just knew once this podium was built that this you know this is where we would come to start our week every single week to preach God's word to sit under the word to have the word preached to us to our hearts I just knew that uh, I wanted that scripture to be on the front um, because this is what we do is we gather here together to be in the word of God to be in prayer together to be in fellowship with each other so that we can go and fulfill the mission that God has called us to uh, and so what's interesting is for many years, I've looked forward to preaching through this. And I've, I've brought up this verse, uh, this, this section of scripture, many times throughout different sermons over the years, uh, oftentimes at the beginning of the year when we go through kind of our, our vision uh, sort of mini-series, uh, but I've never really spent a whole sermon kind of looking at it. Uh, and here we are, interestingly enough, in 2022, and it's really kind of incredibly timely for us. As we continue as a church to emerge out of the past two years, uh, many of us have seen a lot of spiritual muscles, have maybe had a little bit of atrophy, and we're just in constant need to retrain and uh, get ourselves into good godly rhythms and habits and routines and attitudes and old convictions maybe that we sort of dropped a couple years ago, practices that Maybe have some cobwebs, a little bit of dust on them and kind of get rid of some of those bad habits that we've picked up the last couple years. And so I hope and I pray that today, as, and as we continue through Acts, not just today, but as we keep going through Acts, again, remembering that the reason we chose this book is because it's a book of action. It's a book of, of moving on purpose. Uh, and this is what we need right now as a church, is this kind of forward-moving book. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would awaken us and... Invigorate us and enliven just our, our, our vision for the life that He has called us to as, as individuals, as families, but also as a church family. So I want to pray and ask the Lord to, to lead us through His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit would lead us into this truth, that His Holy Spirit would convict us, but also comfort us, as we just even sang, that He would be our, our one comfort. Um, we wouldn't live in a place of you know, shame or condemnation because maybe we've, we've dropped some habits. Maybe we've gotten out of habit of certain things. And, um, but we're not going to live in a place of condemnation or shame. We're going we're to say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for this conviction. Thank you for pointing me back to your son. Thank you for pointing me to your design of church community. Uh, help me take my next step forward. So let's pray for that. Ask the Lord for his mercy and grace today as we open up his word together as a church family. Father in heaven, we come to you as we do each and every week, as we start off our week together, and we ask for your mercy. We ask God for this because we know that you've already promised us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, and so we can ask in confidence that you desire, you want to bless this morning, you want to bless this This meeting together. You want to bless us as your people because you want us to be a blessing to others. You want to be glorified among your people. You want us to to seek and savor you and be amazed and be filled with awe and wonder for the many things you've done for us, most notably, salvation. And so when we, we gather here, we, we know that you want to be glorified in our midst. We come with that excitement. We come with that anticipation that you desire to dwell with your people, that you do dwell with your people. You inhabit the praises of your people. And This morning we come to you. We, we praise you. We sing to you, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. So Father, we thank you that you have designed this amazing picture. You've saved us and not just sent us out as orphans, as individuals, but you've brought us to be part of a family, part of a body. And each of us were different members, different strengths, different weaknesses, but together we formed the body of Christ. And, and then this, this church here, this is just one aspect of the body. There's the, the body across the globe and the body across history, we're just a part of this great story, this great body. So help us, lead us into all truth this morning, Holy Spirit. We love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to come together and pray and to fellowship. Help us to never take this for granted. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're going to be going to 47 this morning. So keep in mind, this is right after Pentecost happened, right after they get born again. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and uh, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this incredible picture, we have Pentecost, which by the way is today, it's kind of fitting. It's an incredible picture that after this time of Pentecost, we don't know how much time has gone by here, but it says that now after this time of Pentecost, uh, now they're, they're living life together. They're being in each other's homes, they're breaking bread, they're praying with one another, they're in the Word together. And Luke is painting this picture here for us, the results of their salvation, of hearing Peter's message, a family that lives life together, that interacts with one another, that enjoys each other, that prays with each other. This is a picture of true gospel community. This is a family. This is what a collective sense of, of inward amazement over salvation does to a group of people. You have a group of people who have this, they share this this inward, I can't believe what just happened to me. I got saved. I'm born again. And you were too, too, same same to you? Let's hang out together. Let's talk about this, because I want to get better. I want to grow in this. Help me be excited about this more and more. I don't want this flame to ever fade, so I need to be with you. So this draws them together to be these people that are given to the word, given to prayer, and given to each other as this Gospel community, and we really see this even just compacted into one verse here. Verse 42, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the word of God, to the fellowship, the community, as well as the breaking of bread as the community, and the prayers. One verse. We see this just encapsulate these three primary means of God's grace that he has chosen and designed to bring us face-to-face with Jesus Christ. So they devoted themselves to the word of God being declared in the context of their church family. They loved hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ as it was presented and preached among them as a group, as a family. They were given to prayer, and not just private prayer, but praying with each other, praying in each other's homes. And we're gonna see this a lot in the book of Acts. And there was fellowship that was centered around that word, around this community of believers as they enjoyed meals together and prayed with one another look at verse 46 again day by day they were attending the temple together breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts that was what marked them gladness and generosity that was the mark of this church praising God and having favor with all the people now why did they do this? They did this because they were in awe of their salvation, their, their forgiveness, particularly the forgiveness that they needed for killing their own Messiah. They go, oh, so we, we killed him, so, so now what? Well, God's going to offer you forgiveness for that. Are, are you serious? He, he's not going to hold us accountable? No, no, that's why he died. And so they received that message And so they were praising God, attending temple, and living life with each other, and they couldn't get enough of it. Day by day, they were breaking bread, just praying with each other, hearing God's word. This is a beautiful picture of what God has designed for us. And best of all, this became normal in the church. This became normal in their lives. This wasn't just a Sunday thing. This was normal for them. But just because it's normal doesn't mean it happens naturally, Rather, it really actually happens supernaturally. We don't gravitate towards this on our own. This is not easy to pursue this. We often slip off course. And In our age, our our day and age, our our lives are busy. We have many priorities. We have a lot of different plates that are spinning. We have different social circles to to balance. And even the time that we live in today makes it more difficult than it was even for this early church. Because today, even society looks vastly different. Technology, ironically, has made this more difficult for us. Before hundred or so years ago, you wouldn't get in your car and drive to a church even a few miles away. No, you, you, you just spent time with the body of believers that live right in your little village where you could walk to. These are people that you probably grew up with, that have known you since you were this high. So they know all about you, there's a lot of accountability, a lot of vulnerability. Everyone knows each other's history. This was a community. This was a, a, a broader family than just your immediate nuclear family. This was like the, your neighbors next door, the people you, this was your family, your extended family, all growing up. That's who you went to church. That's, that's who you prayed with. Another thing that's kind of made things a little more difficult for us is the internet. In some ways, some of this technology is obviously fantastic. I think about texting and how I've I'm, able to stay connected with a lot more people, a lot more frequently. There's many ways that I I do that. I really appreciate that technology. But there's also this truth that the internet also kind of gives us an easy way out, too. So for us today, when we don't live on the same block as our church family, and hardly any of us do, what that means is not that we're exempt from this. Well, the times are different, so we don't have to do that. No, what that means is we have to make more effort to do it. We have to make more effort, an intentional effort to make this happen, to invite this into our life. Because interestingly, cars and the internet, they they make it possible in many ways for us to be more connected with people who are further away. And that's great. So for all of us, even those living in the city, Escondido, this is a a broad, very wide, spread out city. So even for us, just because your address is Escondido doesn't mean like I'm like in my community necessarily, right? It's It's a big, it's a big little town. But community, like we see in Acts chapter 2, is even harder for us because of cars and internet. Because it actually, even though it helps us to stay connected to people farther away, it also enables us to stay farther away from the people that we're closest with. Right? We now have the ability to drive places, and so it kind of is kind of a double-edged sword, sort of. So this means, church, that we have to make every effort, a very great effort, to, to fight for this, to fight for a heart that desires. Gospel community, the way that God has designed and desires for us that we see here in Acts chapter two. So we have to learn really the discipline of sacrifice. Last week I was out uh, with, with Micah um, in our, our little orchard. We've got some, some fruit trees and uh, things out there and uh, I had to thin fruit because you know the, the little fruits are coming in and I have to go through. I've got maybe 20 or 30 trees down there and um, I have to thin them all out. You know, because if they grow too close and you have really small fruit, you don't have enough nutrients to get them, so you have to thin them out. And probably for every three fruits that are there, I have to get rid of maybe two. And I, I really, I hate thinning fruit. And not because of the work. The work is easy. I keep my trees small. It's, it's, it's actually kind of soothing, the, the, the work itself. But I hate doing it because I know that I, I feel like I'm missing out on something. Right? I've got three fruits right next to each other, and I know that for this one to get big and juicy and be tasty, I've got to get rid of these two because otherwise they'll cramp out this third one. So I have to pluck perfectly good fruit that I'm going, but that would be so good. I'd, I, I could have 100 fruit that I eventually get from this tree, or I can have 60 or 50 or 40. And so as we were doing this, I was telling Mike, and I pointed to all the fruit that were on the ground. I said, look at that. And there was probably three or four hundred little fruits that are on the ground. And he said, why did you have to do that? I said, well, would you rather have 50 really good, tasty, juicy, big fruits? Or would you rather have 150 not very good tasting fruits? He goes, well, 50. I was like, are you sure? Because that's 100 more that you have. Clearly the answer is I'd rather have 50 of the good fruit than 150 of bad fruit. And so as we talked about he said, so... So what you mean then is sacrifice, and I was like, that's exactly right. It's sacrifice. You have to sacrifice the potential of of good things, things that are that are good. That you're going. I, I, if I if I cut this out, I'm going to miss out on something. But you have to learn how to sacrifice in order to get something better, something that it's actually designed to actually be this big tasty fruit rather than a bunch of small fruits. A couple days later, uh, we went out to dinner. I mentioned this last week. We went out to dinner to celebrate uh, my wife's uh, baptism day. And we were just kind of enjoying dinner, enjoying conversation, reflecting on what God has done in our family. Uh, And so I asked the boys, I said, what's your favorite thing about our family? And and Liam immediately said, he, he he said, my favorite thing about our family is that we all love going to church. And that just, it struck me. And I shared with them uh, how just like the day before, maybe two days before, uh, there's a young guy in his 20s asked me a question. He said, what do you think that people in their 20s should be focusing on in their life as believers? And so I did the thing that every small group leader learns on day one is then I said, well, what do you think? That's a good one. Parents use that one. Okay, what do you think? And so he kind of started sharing. He said, You know, I think just working on your theology, understanding who God is, and developing good habits, good disciplines. And he actually started talking about sacrifice, priorities. And I said, I think you hit it right on the head. Learning to sacrifice, learning to. And I kind of added to that, I said, You know, kind of a theology that prepares you for hardship, that prepares you as much as possible for some of the challenges that are going to come in life. And I said, and particularly, an overlooked habit, because we talked a lot about habits, we talked a lot about kind of the sacrifice to to make good godly habits, to put down the phone, to do different things, to spend time in prayer, spend time in the word. I said the overlooked habit and kind of an overlooked theology, one that's helped me, maybe the most, it's hard to say the most, but one of the most things that have prepared me for my hardships in my life is the priority of the habit of being in gospel community and church family. That has probably helped prepare me the most because in a gospel community, so I'm not putting people above the word. I'm not doing that because when you're in a gospel community, you have the whole thing, right? I've I've given myself to the people in my life that that I trust, that I love because I know those people are gonna bring me the word. They're gonna pray for me. They're gonna pray with me. And so if I pursue that, then I kind of get it all if I'm in a true gospel community. And so I told him that even this generation, I don't just mean, you know, the the young people, the millennials, but even the age and the era that we live in, even for us older folks, we're becoming more and more like, like silos, like islands. And much of that is due to technology and this kind of worldly agenda that's being perpetually pushed at us. And that's a whole other sermon, but that's, just, that's what's going on. We're getting constantly turned into more and more just silos because we're just on our phones. We, we curate our own little world, our own little online community, and that's just what kind of happens now. So I shared with him that I'm, just, I'm so thankful that God has caused me over my years to put a high premium and see that high premium that he puts on local church family, on accountability and submitting myself to the care of others in my life. I told him I'm grateful that the Lord has taught me so much over the years to go to my elders in my life, meaning those here in Life Mission Church, but also the others that the Lord has brought in my life over the years. I trust the different men that God has given me. I I told him I'm I'm grateful that I still meet monthly with Ron Oates, my first pastor who I still call my pastor, a guy who knows me probably more than any other person other than my wife. Is wrong. And these are the habits that we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. These are the bones designed by God that hold up and support the flesh and blood of the gospel. All right, so this is the structure that, that God has given, this, this community that has the word of God, prayer, and each other breaking bread, fellowship. That's the bones that holds up the flesh and blood of the gospel to create a body, a people, a family that is made alive by the breath of the Holy Spirit. And you were designed, you were designed, if you're a born-again believer, you're designed to live in that context. And if you don't, if you live outside of that context on your own, accountable to me, myself, and Irene, whoever, trusting your own heart like a lone ranger, you're gonna gonna shipwreck your walk at some point in your life. I guarantee it. You start living alone, answering only to yourself, whatever it is, you're gonna shipwreck your walk at, at some point. Acts chapter two gives us this trellis that the vine of the gospel grows on so that it can produce the kind of fruit that brings real life and then making that normal in our lives. I wanna wanna dispel a myth for us though. That myth is that if we just commit to these things, being the word of God, prayer, and community, then we're gonna be just like the first church and have this utopian community community It's gonna be awesome all the time and peaceful all the time and we're all just gonna sing kumbaya. It's gonna be so fantastic. No friction, nothing like that whatsoever. I hear a lot of people say, if we were just more like the early church, then we'd be healthy. Well, I I don't know if you've ever read the epistles, but that first church was really messed up. They had a lot of problems. So, So it's true, if we commit to these things, we will be more like the first church, but with all the problems just like they had. See, rather what happens is the more we press into each other and we come towards each other with the word being central, with prayer for one another, praying for each other, into community, what really happens is by God's grace, guess what happens? More sin is exposed. That's, that's what happens. The more we press in with these things, the more we actually become sanctified. But sanctification is, is messy. It's not magical, it's messy. So that's actually what happens. The more we press in, the more we have this stuff that happens and we don't see that directly in the text today but it's coming soon and that's why I wanted to talk about it now because this section of Acts 2 42 to 47 is going to serve as a constant callback we're going to come back to this a lot to remind us of where we need to return to when the mess comes because it's going to come in the book of Acts we're going to see ideals clash we're going to see theology and practices clash we're going to see hidden sin being exposed we're gonna see apostles not seeing eye to eye with each other. It's gonna get messy in the book of Acts. A couple of years into this church plant, the first two years were just kind of, they were kind of euphoric. They were a little utopian, to be honest. Things were just great. We were just so excited, we we're just charging the hill. It, and it was it was awesome. A couple of years in, some cracks started showing. There were some marriages falling apart. There was adulteries. There was brokenness. There was addictions. Sin was being exposed in a number of lives. And a lot of it was really, it was just kind of all at once. And we were a mess. We were a mess. We became a hospital for a little while. For a long while, actually. We had to go quite inward for a season focused on the the family here because we needed to care for each other quite similar to the past few months that we've had and after a while i remember thinking are we doing something wrong is there this much sin and brokenness in every church or is it just us like are we just super messed up like what what are we doing wrong here because our first two years were just like amazing they were magical and not messy and all of a sudden, we just kind of hit this wall, and there was this carnage everywhere. And I'm going, what are we doing wrong? Am I not preaching right? Or, or, what is, what is, what's happening? But I came to realize that, yes, this much sin and brokenness is in every single church, but in many churches, it's glossed over. It's, it's ignored. It's not dealt with. There's this varnish and this glossy religious coat that's put over everything. It's just sort of airbrushed. The church's image is is just photoshopped. In many churches, common idolatries, the ones that we all kind of get into, the ones that we all like, oh, you do that too? Oh, yeah, it's cool. That's okay. Like, we're we're okay because we do it together. So That's, that's what we do. We have idolatries that are sort of culturally accepted and we just roll with it. As long as we don't call each other on it, we're fine. But in the kind of churches where those kind of common are, idolatries are not being confronted by the gospel, pastors maybe don't want to make people uncomfortable and confront their idols or, or call people to repentance, tell them, hey, you killed the Messiah. The image of health was more important than actual health. But when we do allow our lives to be confronted by God's word in prayer with and for each other, Living life together where the gospel's at work, more of our weaknesses and idolatries are pushed and exposed. And we're confronted with our true selves. It's harder to hide in close relationships. It's not impossible, but it's much harder. But the good news for us is that we then become confronted in the context of God's promises, bathed in the prayers of those who love us and surrounded by people who will fight for us. Not by those who would fight against us or condemn us or judge us or shame us, but fight side by side with us. And it's there that we find freedom from sin, freedom from our, our selfish desires, even the, the subtle ones in our life, where we, we freely admit, you know, I, yeah, I'm broken. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I, I wish I didn't do this thing, but I'm, I'm not going to hide in shame any longer because I know, I know I'm a sinner. And I don't, I don't want to hide in that. We find wholeness and healing. And we become ready and equipped then, once we expose that and confess that, we become ready and equipped then for the mission that God has for us. I remember a, a man once in our church who confessed his sin and even did so publicly. And he said he never felt so free because it, it was just out there. And he, and he felt the love and acceptance from his church family. And he just said, I feel so unashamed now. The process of getting to that point was very messy. It was awkward, but it was worth it. In God's kingdom, visible messes often point to invisible Holy Spirit gospel work. It's discouraging for us. We want to run from it. But this is actually how God has designed for us to be sanctified. I mean, think about your marriage, right? Two people living together together, Close proximity, think about parenting, you got these kids, you know, you've got little mini sinners living in your house with you now, or maybe you got a roommate or a housemate. When you live together in close proximity with people, sparks fly more than in any other relationship that you have, right? Those close proximity relationships, that's where sparks fly, that's where sin is exposed because you can't hide when you're living under the same roof. Selfishness is revealed. But in the context of a church family, that, that's, a, that's a good thing, because you're surrounded by a family full of physicians' assistants, like we talked about last week, people who know God's Word, who are able to, to deftly use God's word as a scalpel, not as a machete, not as a rocket launcher. We need to use God's word deftly. We need to use it well, or we are careful and cautious with the scalpel as a doctor who cares for his patient, a physician's assistant who cares for the person that is under the the knife. So no, pursuit of gospel community with the word prayer and God's people mixed all together in this blender does not make our problems go away but rather what it does is that carries the power of the gospel so that we can expose and confront our problems our sin our issues the uh, the right way so that they can be properly dealt with uh, kids here in the room you ever, have you ever been stung by a bee anyone adults stung by a bee yeah all the time <laughs> Imagine this bee sting, or, or maybe even worse, maybe for some of you adults, uh, surgery. Uh, you don't go to your parents and you say, "Hey, I've got a bee sting," and then your parents just speak the word. They just say it. Oh, just bee sting, be gone, and then it's all of a sudden gone. No, what they do is they go get tweezers, and they start digging at that stinger, and and it can hurt, but it's good. You go to the doctor with a problem, he doesn't just write a prescription and just, because he wrote the prescription, now it's just gone. No, there's a surgery involved, there's recovery time, there's physical therapy, but it's good that you went to find this thing and have it be exposed. So the gospel is like that, that written doctor's prescription. And gospel community is like that scalpel. The prescription of the gospel, the word existing, isn't, it's not just written by the doctor, now just, the doctor, our good, great physician, doesn't just speak that gospel and then our sin just suddenly disappears. No, he equips a church family with prayer, with that word. And through this fellowship and breaking of bread together, these are the very tools, like tweezers, like a scalpel, and these are the very context by which these things are first unearthed in our life and then exposed so that the gospel can properly deal with them and extract that stinger and extract that disease that's going on inside of us, of sin. But that process can be painful and is even messy. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Take care, brothers. Pay attention to this, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil Unbelieving heart. Remember, he, this, the author here is talking to brothers. Even as believers, we can have this; these parts of our heart that just don't quite believe the gospel. We, just, we live in shame and condemnation and we, we don't believe in, in God's ability to sustain us so then we go after other idols, we go after other things. It's All all sin is, is the result of, of lack of faith and belief. So it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart Leading you to fall away from the living God. But instead, do this to prevent that from happening. You don't want that to happen? You don't want to shipwreck your walk? Then do this. Exhort one another every day. Every day. And as long as it's called today. You leave here, you go home, guess what? It's still called today. In a couple hours, You're having dinner, it's still called today. Evening, you're unwinding, it's still called today. So as long as it's called today, you exhort each other. You encourage each other. As long as it's called today, exhort one another so that none of you, here's why we have to do this, so that none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It tricks you, it fools you into disbelief of some good promise of God. So we need each other. We need to exhort each other because we, we don't see these things. We get hardened by the deceitfulness of our own sin. We need the ministry of other people exhorting us every single day, being a physician's assistant to help prevent our hearts from hardening when we are being deceived by our own sin, our, our desires that draw us away, our own motivations that lure us into our heads and living up in our heads, living by our emotions, what we can get caught up in and, and obsessed with these, this sinful thinking, wrong thinking, bitterness, unforgiveness, lust, pride, self-righteousness, entitlement, you name it, we get drawn into it. But this is God's design, humble accountability and, and openness, real vulnerability. There is such freedom in going to others and admitting your weaknesses and your pains and your sins and your sorrows. But church, the hard truth is this. If we continue to press into the gospel and into prayer with each other in each other's lives, it usually gets messier before it gets better. That's kind of the tough news for us. And that can turn a lot of people away. Some people want a church or they want relationships, that have all their ducks in a row where everything is just kind of shiny and bright and No conflict, no messiness, no friction. Just everything's just Photoshopped. And we just sort of ignore things, brush things under the rug, whatever. But you know what, church? We're we're jars of clay. We're we're, we're these weak vessels. We're fragile. We're broken. But yes, God has bound us back up. And now we carry in us the treasure of the gospel. And if you desire to be a a physician's assistant, you're going to get blood on you. That's the nature of the job. It will get messy. If you press into gospel community, you're, you're gonna get some blood on you. Church life is not gonna be sterile or simple or easy. It's messy, it's awkward, but it's, it's worth it. Now here's the good news for us. Even though it will be messy, and we're gonna see a lot of that in the book of Acts, the result also is very good, and it's quite beautiful. Look what it says in verse 43 here. Awe came upon every soul. Awe and wonder came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And everyone who believed, they were all together, they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. As the good news of Christ was received in this constant daily reminder through the word being preached, the the people in this gospel community grew in their awe and their wonder for the Lord. Their worship increased. Their hearts expanded. The Lord was doing wonders in their midst. They took care of each other. They pressed into each other. They they grew in love for each other. Love became the the, the very language that they spoke to one another. And we're gonna look more at the specific gospel generosity here in a few weeks because we're gonna see it again. But what happens when the grace of God and the the gospel is being put in front of us each and every day, especially by one another, in that context of living life one another, What happens is we we start becoming more generous. And not just with money, not not just financially, but generous in, in all different ways. Generous with our words. We're more gracious with our speech. We're more forgiving. We're more open and welcoming. We start becoming more generous because we realize how much God has been generous to us in offering up his son as a sacrifice to us. We start opening up our homes more frequently because we recognize that God our Father has sacrificially opened up his home to us, his His, His prodigal children, and is even preparing a place for us. So because he did that for us, then now we do it for others. We open up our, our calendars because we recognize that Christ himself stepped out of his eternal, timeless calendar, And gave 33 years of life to humbly minister sacrificially to his own enemies. And so we go, well, if he can do it, then we can open up our calendars too. We break bread with each other because we recognize that Christ generously offered himself up to be the bread of life, broken for us, giving us forgiveness as a sacrifice. We say, well, if he could break his own body for us, then we can break bread with others. We start praying with others and we start praying for others because we recognize that the risen Christ is now and will always be praying for us in heaven. We've seen these types of things in our church family over these nine and a half years, but church, we could see more. I want to see more. Do, do we as a church, do we want to see more of this? I want to see more. Do you, do you want more awe and wonder for the Lord? Yes. I want more awe and wonder for the Lord. Do you want to see our church family increase in our worship of God Almighty? For that to happen, effort and pursuit is needed. Sacrifice is needed. A reorienting of our priorities, of our calendars, of our convictions. To be honest, really, it's a reorientation of our love. Because our love has been divvied up into a lot of different priorities and a lot of smaller little fruits in our life. We need to reorient our love. Our worship needs to be reoriented. We're still unearthing ourselves from that that fog of, of of COVID, and as a society, but even as a church, not to mention not to mention, our kind of crawling out of the numerous tragedies that have happened internally from our church family. So this is going to take a family effort, and it's going to take family patience to be praying, asking the Lord to help us to shake off the dust of bad habits that have formed over the past couple years, complacency, apathy, cynicism, critical spirit, laziness, all the different things. So take inventory for yourself, not for your neighbor, but for yourself, where are you lacking right now? Where do you feel like you, maybe your, your, your family, where are you lacking in these things? Where does a greater effort need to be made, a shifted perspective, a reoriented love? Later on, again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, let us consider this. We want to think about this for a second. Let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That, that's what we're doing right now. Church, how do we do this? How do we, let's consider how do we stir each other up to love and good works because that's what we need. And, and he goes on, not neglecting to meet together. We don't want to neglect that. That's the habit of some. That's become the habit of, of many. But rather, instead of neglecting the meeting together and being in, and breaking bread and prayer together, but instead actually encouraging one another, and all the more, we want to do that all the more as you see the great day, the capital D day, the coming of the Lord, drawing near. It's easy to, to get out of habit. So we need to consider. How to get back into that habit, how to be with each other and stir each other up towards love and good works. And, church, just in case you've missed some of my previous sermons, I have to remind you today that I am preaching this to myself. Preaching this to myself. I know, I know that the last two plus years, particularly the last year, has, has taken a toll on me. Uh, I'm. I'm different today than I was two and a half years ago. And that's not a bad thing. Bad habits can creep in, but I'm, saying that, I'm not saying that's a bad thing overall because that is the Lord's work in my life. He is taking me through things to get me to a certain point from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. And I thank the Lord for that. But it's as if you know, the Lord has kind of touched my hip, so to speak, and, and I'm walking with a limp. But as I said last week, I know also that I am not walking alone with this limp. I believe that God has struck me down in grief so that he can bind me up and so that in my weakness, he would be strong in and through me. He's going to turn my mourning, my, my grieving, he's going to turn your mourning and grieving into joy. He turns our weaknesses into strength. Now, a little side note, I shared this last week at the, um, the newcomer's lunch the cool thing about that, that picture of God t- taking our mourning and turning it into joy is that He doesn't have grief and mournings over here, and that's kind of this thing, but then someday we're gonna get to joy. That, that's not really the picture we have. He turns this mourning and grief into joy. It's almost like your grief and your mornings are gonna become born again. It's gonna be transformed into joy. He's gonna use the very things that are grief and sorrows, and he's going to turn them into somehow joy. I don't, I don't get it. Sometimes I don't believe it, but that's what he does. He causes these things, in a sense, to become born again. He transforms them, and he does the same thing with our weaknesses. He does the same thing with all of our sorrows, and he's already been doing that in me, and he's going to keep doing more and I can tell you this, too, that so much of the transformation in my own self has come from my receiving and enjoying the Word of God and prayer with and in the context of God's people. I look at the last nine months of my life, last couple of years of my life, most of the growth that has been happening, the sanctification has been happening, is because it's been in the context of God's people with the Word of God and prayer. It's not me going off and being a hermit and just whatever, but it's, it's been you guys been you guys. It's been been because I come here every single week. And I don't come here just because I I preach. I come here because I love you guys. I love this church. And I do preach to myself every week. I need you guys in my life. And I need more. I need more of that in my life. So if we want to see this kind of, this, this type of new community that the Lord has designed, the Lord has birthed, We need to be praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come here in this church, in this gospel community, starting in our own hearts. That you would transform us from the inside, transform our lives so that we would walk through this community in awe and wonder of who God is. That we would then be on mission for Him to be declaring the good things of God to the people that He has brought into our lives. That we need to pray, God, let your kingdom come here in this church in this gospel community, starting in our own hearts. Let your kingdom come and rule and reign in my heart. Rule over my mind. Help me to take every thought captive. And if we want the kingdom to come, we remember that Jesus said that that is for the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We need to start in that place, being needy in spirit, being humble in spirit. People who are desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel to work in our lives each and every day, as long as it is called today. That takes humility to be a needy person. To be a needy person going to your Father every day in deep, desperate need for strength. But if we want the kingdom, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because theirs is the kingdom of God, and and I want the kingdom to come and rule and reign in my heart and in this church and in this community. So we need to pray that the Lord would do this in us, pray that he would humble us, to teach us to be poor in spirit so that we would become the church that he desires for us to be, a church that is devoted to his word, to prayer, to fellowship with each other, to breaking bread, to inviting people into your homes having some messes, having all the kids run around. It's chaos and it's loud, and some of them are coloring on the walls, but who cares? It's just a wall. So it takes a little bit of time the next day to clean it up, but but this is life. This is what we're called to do, is have these messes in our life, not care if, if everything's all pretty and in order in your house. Just have people over. Have people over. Break bread with one another. This is what we need to be praying for, so that we would be able to receive the kingdom into our lives, to pray for that humility, to just invite people and, and invite messes. So church, and ask the Lord to do that in your heart. Ask the Lord to, to help you, to be transformed, to grow, to be changed, so that you have this desire to be in this kind of gospel community with one another. Pray and ask the Lord. Where, where do changes need to be made? Where do sacrifices need to be, to be happening? Help me, Lord. Help me learn how to thin fruit in my life so that I can have better fruit. It's hard. It's, it's not easy. Again, I, I, I hate thinning season. I hate it. But it's good. It's good. It's good to thin. I want to pray now. And as, as we pray, you know, and as I've... Encouraged us to consider, each and every one of us, consider how to stir other people up in your lives. Uh, you might go home and if you're married, talk with your spouse, talk with your family, say, what, what do we need to do? Do we need to start having people over more frequently? Maybe going out to dinner, having people over. Uh, if your community group isn't meeting this summer, then have those people over to your house for dinner. Make, make a big old family mess together. Ask the Lord to meet you there. You could have just, just one even question about the Lord and it just turns into a, a family discussion. Just let it happen. Invite the Lord. He's not going to say, nah, I don't really want you guys to fellowship together. You invite people over and say, Lord, help us to, to glorify you today as we just have a messy dinner together. We're going to order some pizza. We're going to make some spaghetti, something easy. Just, Lord, would you meet us there? Because this is what we want. We want, we want to see you glorified in our midst. Ask him to meet you there. To create and strengthen new habits and desires in your lives, in all of our lives. And, and pray for your church family that we would collectively start doing this more and more and more as we go. As we have just patience for each other and we have desire, this unified desire with each other. Pray for your church family that we would all be moving in that direction. I wanna ask the Lord now just to, to do that for us, to help us, to lead us, to guide us. To convict us, but then to comfort us in our conviction and encourage us in our conviction. Father in heaven, we come and we we admit our our weaknesses, we admit our our faults. Um I could be the first in line here just to start listing off a number of ways that I know that I I want to grow, I want to see change in, in habits and And we just, um, we, we our, our church, we need you. We need you to move greatly among us. Well, there's just been a, uh, it has been a, a hard, challenging, foggy <laughs> season, and, um, I mean, none of it's been my mistake. None of it uh, caught you off guard, though it may have caught us off guard a handful of times. But you're working all these things for your glory that you would be glorified in the midst of your people. You walk among us because we are the temple of the living God. And you desire to be glorified among us, and we desire for you to be glorified among us. So help us. We are needy. We are broken. We need the power of your spirit to work in us, to, to reorient our love, reorient our worship. Well, there's so many things that have just accumulated, just build up over the, over the last year, the last couple years. Just complacency or, or some, some bitterness or some um, unmet expectations or some... Um, all kinds of things, laziness, justification for this and that. I mean, just, <laughs> so God, we just need to, you know, to shake these, these bones. Enliven us, wake us up, help us. I am so, so, so grateful for the great work that you have been doing in our midst for the last nine and a half years. I am just amazed at what you've done in us and through us. But Lord, we we desire more. We desire more. We never wanna become complacent or give up. We wanna keep pressing in. We do want you to transfer us from one degree of glory to the next. We look forward to what that next degree looks like in our church family. And I just, I see you at work all over the place, especially in this, this challenging time, this hospital season we've been in. I see you at work and it's amazing. I, just, I look forward to that next season, but I, I'm just grateful for the way that you have been working among us. I trust your ways. I trust your handiwork. I trust the physician's steady hand. As you wield that scalpel, that two-edged sword of your word, and you go to work in our hearts, in our minds, in our church family, you are doing an amazing work in our midst. Oftentimes we just, we don't see it, but we know it's there because you're good. You're good and you love this church. And you will complete the good work that you began In this church, that you began in our hearts, that you began in the the capital C church, you're going to remain faithful to us even when we're unfaithful. You are a good God. And we do stand in awe and wonder of who you are and what you've done, that you have saved us, though we killed the Messiah. You gave us forgiveness and salvation. Let us never let that go far from our minds. As long as it's called today, let us exhort one another in that great truth. We need that reminder each and every day of our life. So we thank you, God, for your goodness towards us, your faithfulness towards us, your power amongst us, your wisdom amongst us. We love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's mighty and precious and amazing name that we pray. Amen.